With all that's happening today in Israel and the Middle East, you should be reading Israel My Glory magazine. If you're not already a subscriber, you can get a one-year free subscription of timely, insightful articles on trends that affect Israel and the Christian world. Visit foiradio.org to subscribe. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. Have you ever stopped to consider that the church is more than the local congregation you're part of? The church is made up of a variety of ethnicities, cultures, and languages from all over the world. Chris, I love this passage in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful picture of the the universal church. Believers from all over the world, different languages, nations, tribes, coming together to worship Jesus Christ, the the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that's why today on the program, we're going to talk about that foundational verse of the New Testament that binds believers from all over the world together under one confession, the confession of the Apostle Peter in Matthew chapter 16. I look forward to that. But first, Chris, there is a lot going on in Israel that we need to discuss. There really is a lot going on. First of all, the Israeli Defense Force has recently revealed its latest preemptive operation called Operation Chess. Operation Chess is focused on the activity of Iran in Syria. And remember, Syria and Iran border one another. Uh, Israeli intelligence has enough information to believe that the Islamic Republic is actually seeking to carry out its own strikes against the Jewish state from Syria. On April 9th, Israel attacked a Syrian base that actually killed seven Iranian Revolutionary Guards. And according to the Times of Israel, in recent weeks, Iran has stepped up its effort to bring a number of advanced munitions into Syria, notably air defense systems, with which the IRGC could fire on Israeli fighter jets. Well, here's my take. If you notice, Iran was preparing for war with Israel weeks before the Iran deal was called off by the Trump administration. Iran has a deathly agenda for those who don't comply with their ideology. My friends, I want you to be praying for Israel, uh, that they would have wisdom to manage the Iranian situation properly and to protect those Israelis who live up north only a few miles from the Syrian border. Now, a few weeks back, I had the great privilege to travel down to Washington, D.C. to a Christian solidarity event at the Israeli embassy, and and I was able to actually hear from Israeli Ambassador Ron Dermer and Kellyanne Conway, counselor to President Trump, and what they were really talking about was the unbreakable bond that exists between the U.S. and Israel, and all of this around this amazing event that's going, uh, that just happened, Uh, the move of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And and let me tell you, Ambassador Dermer stressed that Israel couldn't be more excited about having the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. He, He really believes that this is an epic move that will signal to the Palestinians that if you're going to come to negotiate peace with Israel, it has to be done with realistic expectations that are built on facts and truth. Uh, One being this, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. There's no way around it. The Jewish 
people are not leaving Jerusalem because Jerusalem has been the eternal capital of the Jewish people, and it's been that way since King David 3,000 years ago. Additionally, Ambassador Dermer commented on the Iran deal, and, and he stressed that Trump's decision to kill the deal brings clarity to how dangerous Iran really is. He, he likened the Iran deal to a car on cruise control that's really heading right off the cliff. And that cliff is when the deal, the Iran deal, would sunset in only seven years. Well, Ambassador Dermer said that Trump's decision to back out of the deal turned that car away from the cliff. He didn't say that this solves the problem at all. Iran is still the leading state sponsor of terrorism, and they still are ambitious to get to, uh, nuclear weapons. But it can't be overstated that the JCPOA, better known as the Iran deal, could never solve any of the real problems surrounding Iran. First, remember they continue to be that leading state sponsor of terrorism around the world. The, the deal that was made didn't change their deadly behavior in places like Syria, Yemen, and Iraq. Iran is still very active in expanding their regime into the Middle East. And the deal didn't solve that problem. Secondly, the deal that was meant to stop Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons actually seemed to have encouraged them to continue to build a nuclear arsenal right under the noses of the UN inspectors. The deal prohibited inspectors from looking into military sites. Where else is the regime going to make nuclear weapons? You know, that's like the police making a deal with a drug dealer that they're going to inspect every room of his house but his basement for the next 10 years. Where do you think that drug dealer is going to put his drugs? Right in the basement. Listen, nuclear weapons are definitely a major issue, but if the underlying behavior of expansion through terror isn't dealt with, then you can guarantee no deal will ever prevent the Iranians from acquiring nuclear weapons until there is regime change and the people of Iran take control of their country, Iran will remain an untrustworthy partner in the deal. President Trump put an end to the Iran deal, a promise he made more than two years ago. I was there in D.C. when he said it right in front of the Capitol building. Trump kept his promise and brought clarity to the issue. Any deal with Iran and nuclear weapons shouldn't be shrouded in pages of unkept promises. When it comes to an untrustworthy Islamic regime, you better be sure the details of the deal are black and white. Now listen, when we return, we're going to shift a bit here. We're going to shift to the origins of the church. We're going to talk about where the church comes from and the power the church can have, even as we think about all the things that are happening in the world, in Israel, in the Middle East. You know, it can be something that scares us and makes us wonder, Lord, what's going on? Let's be confident that as the church of Jesus Christ, we can stand on the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we are going to stand on that confession, and that's what we're going to talk about when we come right back. Our Apples of Gold segment here on the program is loved by many. Hearing Friends of Israel's own Svi Kalisher's timeless adventures in Israel and the way he shares his faith with anyone he encounters inspired countless people around the world. Right now, for a limited time, we want to offer you this popular book, The Best of Svi, at a special discounted price. 
The Best of Svi is a compilation of his most popular stories, and this unique sampler will inspire and encourage you as you see God's infinite love, wisdom, and power in action. Walk through the streets of Jerusalem with Svi as he converses with people of all backgrounds and all types of places. You'll see Svi in army camps or hospitals, schools, synagogues, workplaces, and even in people's homes. To order your copy of The Best of Svi, and for more information on this special offer, visit foiradio.org. We'll have a link on our homepage. Again, that's foiradio.org. So lately I've been on a hunt, and I've been on a hunt to find where my family comes from. And I don't know if I'm getting to that age where you want to know your people, your family, um, but I've been digging around on Ancestry.com. So it took me a bit to find out about where my family comes from, but on Ancestry.com, I found that the Katolkas come from a town in southeast Poland called Wala Sadoka. Some very kind person over in Poland took the birth and baptismal and marriage and death records from the church in the town where, where my family comes from and actually put them online. And I was able to find out who my great-great-grandfather was and, and his father. And, and when you find out more about your family roots, it actually begins to connect you to your history. And now I actually want to know more. And the more I learn, the more questions I have about this family that God providentially placed me in. I think the same could be said of the church. If you think about it, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all in the same spiritual family. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter what your age, your color, your ethnicity, your education, your socioeconomic standing. If you are in Christ, then you're a part of a greater family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. But like me, I think we need to be on the hunt to know and understand the history of our family. We need to know where we come from. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this, what exactly is this family, the church, that God has providentially placed us in? Well, if I used Ancestry.com to find out the history of the Katolkas, my earthly family, then I know I need to go to God's Word to find the origins of my family in Christ, the church. So to begin, the, the church, I think this is so important for us to understand. The church is made up of sinners who have been saved by, the, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That means that the church is made up of sinners who realize that their sin separates them from God and repented of their sin. And repentance literally means to turn, to turn to God's ways and not into yourself. And in repenting and asking for forgiveness, allowing the blood of Christ to cover your sins. This is who makes up the church. This, these are the people in the church. It's sinners. Sinners are people who occupy the pews in the church, but they're sinners who are saved and covered by the blood of Christ. Now, for those who believe and turn to Jesus, they are incorporated into the family, and they are incorporated into the church through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that that aspect that marks you as a member of the family of God. Now, in the Old Testament, an Israelite was incorporated into the community of God through circumcision. That's what marked them as a member of the community, a, a part of the family, if you will. But under the New Covenant, you're not marked through circumcision 
anymore. Instead, you are marked by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who essentially circumcises your heart. But I want to go back again. The church is not made up of perfect people. There is no perfect person except Christ. The church is made up of sinners who have come to the realization that they need Jesus. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, after laying out the litany of sinful acts that would prevent anyone from entering into the kingdom of God, like those who practice any form of sexual immorality, uh, the abusive, the, the drunkards, the swindlers, the thieves, all of these people who practice this lifestyle, Paul says, are not fit for the kingdom of God. But then he adds something in verse 11. He says this, some of you once lived this way, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The church is made up of confessing sinners who are deemed righteous only because of the finished work of the Messiah Jesus. The word for church in Greek is ekklesia. It's the Greek term that is actually just used to, to, to connotate the idea of, of assembly. Uh, before ecclesia was used to describe the sacredness of the church, it was used to, to describe those who were called out of their homes to a public assembly. Even the Jewish community used it when they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek to describe the gathering of the Israelite people. But for Jesus... The church was more than just a group of people who gathered together. When Jesus uses the word church for the first time, he was actually asking the disciples who people think the Son of Man is. And they all had their opinions. But then he turned to the disciples and he said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said this, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then I love this. Jesus turns to Peter and says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus is saying that upon the words of Peter, not Peter himself, but on the words of Peter, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he would build his church on those words, the confession of Peter. Folks, and look at this. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's going to build the church. Not you, not your pastors, not your elders, not even the disciples. It's Jesus. Jesus is using you and your pastor and your elders to build the church. But the ultimate architect and builder is Jesus. And he's building the church around the words spoken by Peter. You are the Messiah. So the bedrock of the church, what our family, if you will, originates from is Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, when we look at how the church in the New Testament is seen, it's kind of viewed in two different ways. There are times that the church is seen as universal. Uh, and now th let me let me explain something. The universal church does not mean universalist, uh, but by universal, we mean it's the invisible church. There's no address or telephone or email or location. It's believers from all over the world who hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The universal church looks like this. 
Have you ever traveled before and met someone who is a Christian and you both share that you're followers of Jesus? This means that you're family in Christ. You know, you don't go to the same church, but you're a part of the same family. There's a bond there that you have. You're brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, I love it when I travel to Israel and I get a chance to fellowship with believers in Jerusalem. And even though I don't speak the same language or I'm a part of the same culture, we connect right away because our lives are built on the rock, Jesus the Messiah. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says this, And God put all things under Christ's feet, and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Folks, Jesus is the head of the church. He's not just the head of your local church. He's the head of the universal church of believers all around the world. And the way we worship him in our local congregations is a manifestation. It's the outworking of the greater work of Christ building his church globally. That's why it's really important that when you connect with a stranger over Christ, when you when you connect and you find out that you're you both worship Christ, you are both Christians, there's that unique spiritual bond that you have that brings you together that tears those walls down because you are family members in the universal church. And that gets worked out when you go home and you minister in your local church. And it's the local church where you worship together. You study God's word together and you influence the community around you together. That's why Christ is the head of the church and we are called the body. It's the body that makes up the hands and feet of Christ because we are the ones doing the work to invite more people into the family of God, welcoming them to stand on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and to serve in the local church in order to invite others into this bigger universal church. It's a beautiful picture of this family that we're connected to. And friends, this is the history of where we come from. The church is the body of Christ who is made up of sinners who are washed in the blood of the lamb. And we all stand together on the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And we are marked. We are marked by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is transforming us into the image of Jesus. Friends, the church is not the pews. It is not the pulpit. It is not the sound system. It is not the size of your youth group. It is not the size of your congregation. It's not the size of your church budget. The church is the body of Christ ministering on behalf of Christ to a lost and broken world. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. I recently noticed several posters announcing a famous rabbi would be speaking at our community center. He was scheduled to appear at 8 p.m., but he did not arrive until 9 p.m. More than 300 people were waiting to see their hero. When he finally came, everyone stood and cheered. He spoke about the fictitious stories passed down from generation to generation, nothing new. He concluded by saying the most important thing a Jew can do is study the writings of our fathers, which he stated is even more important than having faith in God. 
that people listened to him as if he had been sent from heaven. Although I knew the crowd would go against me if I spoke up, I silently prayed, asking the Lord to give me courage. And then I rose to my feet. I said to the rabbi, Please explain how knowledge can be more important than faith in God when the scriptures clearly tell us the just shall live by his faith. I continued, Do you have some kind of an insurance policy to get you into heaven? What about our father Abraham? He never went to a great university, but the scriptures say he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Was Abraham's faith in God of no value because he did not go to a great school and study all his life? The rabbi now was very unhappy because I had diverted everyone's attention away from him. Almost all were looking at me, waiting to hear what I would say next. The rabbi asked me to explain what I meant. The Lord reminded me of Hebrews 11. I shared all the things our forefathers experienced because of their faith in God. I told them, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but without faith it is impossible to please him. The rabbi was growing nervous. He said, the posters advertise my speech. You have no right to take the spotlight away from me. Everyone was quiet, even the bodyguards, who were listening to me instead of to him. I was surprised, but I knew it was the Lord's doing. The rabbi said, Explain how you arrived at your strange beliefs. I said, Wisdom is good, but wisdom without faith is useless. How can you point others to God if you do not consider faith as important as knowledge? I then asked the crowd, Who is greater, the wisest professor who has no faith, or a man who has spent his life in the desert but is faithful to the Lord? Most responded, The one from the desert. You're correct, I said. Isaiah 43 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight to the desert a highway for our God. This voice did not come from Oxford University but from the Judean desert. The rabbi was now furious. He said, You have wasted my valuable time. I never want to see you at one of my meetings again. He then stopped off the stage. I was happy these people had listened to me with such interest and patience. I would never have believed such a thing could happen, but the Lord is able to do the impossible. I pray the small seed that was planted in that large group will grow into a great fruitful tree. Thank you for joining us today. As we close, Chris, we've talked a lot about the church and how it's a large family of believers from all over the world, nations, tribes, and languages. But I'm wondering, does the Old Testament say anything about peoples from around the world worshiping the Messiah? Yeah, you know, oftentimes I think we can go right to the New Testament to see these things, uh, how the the church is growing and inviting nations and tribes and languages into into worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God. But, you know, all of that actually does stem 
from the Old Testament. First, I want you to read Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And when you get to the bottom of Daniel chapter 7, you see that it's the Son of Man who is standing there and all of the nations and tribes are worshiping him. And I think that even goes back further to Genesis chapter 12. If you remember when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, Abraham, through you, and this promise, but through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. If you have not yet subscribed to Israel My Glory magazine, you can get a full year at no cost. Visit foiradio.org. There you can also find the book we're selling at a special price, The Best of Svi. Visit foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Galeon. Co-written by Sarah Fern, engineered by Bob Beebe, Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.